The second lesson and sermon text from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, focus your attention on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in God's whole house. In fact, Jesus is worthy of greater glory than Moses, in the same way that the builder of a house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, and God is the one who built everything. Moses was faithful as a servant within God's whole house by testifying to the things that would be spoken. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. We are his house if we hold on firmly to our confidence and the hope about which we boast until the end. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Do you remember catechism class? Some of you haven't gotten there yet, so suppose you can be excused if you don't remember it. Some of you don't have to remember catechism class because you're in it right now. But if you grew up in this branch of Christianity or one of many other branches of Christianity that also have catechism classes, hopefully you remember what you learned and you even go back and review it from time to time. There's a passage that you heard earlier this morning that is used in many catechisms, not just Luther's catechism, but many other catechisms too, as a proof passage. And what that means is catechisms are divided into different parts and they line up a bunch of passages and then they say, based on these passages, this is what our church believes and teaches. See, these passages are the proof for the teaching, the doctrine of our church. The passage you heard earlier that is used as a proof passage in many catechisms is the fourth verse of the third chapter of Hebrews, which says, for every house is built by someone and God is the one who built everything. In what section of the Catechism do you suppose that passage is cited? It is the section on creation. And I remember my boyhood pastor in Catechism explaining it like this. No house constructs itself. There is no house that builds itself independently of an architect and carpenters and masons and plumbers and electricians. Well, the house of this world, the house of the universe, is way more intricate, way more elaborate than any physical house that's been built in this world. There's no way that the house of creation could have just constructed itself accidentally. It had to have a builder. It had to have a designer. And not only that, but the raw materials for any house, they don't just pop into existence on their own, like poof, there's your bricks and your boards and everything else you need. The raw materials have to come from somewhere. They have to have a source. This bothers me. And it's not the teaching of creation that bothers me. There are a million Bible passages that you can use to prove the teaching of creation. What bothers me is that this particular Bible passage is used for creation. Because the house that the writer of the Hebrews had in mind when he wrote this verse wasn't the house of creation, the world and the whole universe. He tells us later, 
We are his house if we hold firmly to our confidence and to the hope about which we boast. I suppose it's acceptable, it's okay to use that passage for creation because at the end it does say God is the one who built everything. But the writer of the Hebrews does say what house he is talking about. He says we are his house. The house is the holy Christian church. It is everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead. And the Bible also teaches us that this house of all believers in Jesus, it rests on a foundation, which is the Holy Scriptures. The foundation of God's church is the words that the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets and the apostles to write. That is what creates this Christian confidence and hope that the writer speaks about, and it's what keeps our faith in Jesus strong all the way till the end. So the Bible is the foundation of the house. The Bible also teaches that Jesus Christ is the perfect cornerstone of God's house, the Holy Christian Church. When the Holy Spirit brings a person to faith, the Bible calls people living stones. And when the Spirit brings someone to faith, he builds them on top of that perfect cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and perfects them on Jesus. And then the Bible also teaches that when the Spirit brings these stones together and builds them on Jesus, he is creating a house that is indestructible. Nothing can destroy it. Jesus says, even the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. So it's a, a beautiful picture in so many ways. The house of God, the holy Christian church, it rests on the foundation of God's word. It's built on the perfect cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and built into a structure that will stand through all eternity. God is the one who built everything. We are his house. If we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope about which we boast until the end. But if we played a word association game with you, and I said, what's the very first thing that pops into your mind when you hear the phrase, God's house? What would you say? What do you think most Christian lay people would say? What is God's house? What do you think of first? I think most people would say, I think of a building. I think of a structure like this, where Believers, members of the Holy Christian Church, gather together to worship the triune God. This is God's house. All Christian churches, buildings around the world where people gather to worship the triune God, those are God's houses. Now, is that wrong? No, of course not. This is also God's house. And it's not specifically the kind of house that the writer of Hebrews had in mind, but the two are very closely connected. Because the writer of the Hebrews says, we are God's house, we are the holy Christian church, if we hold on firmly to our confidence and hope until the end. See, the holy Christian church, all believers, we gather in these houses to receive Jesus Christ. We gather here for the good news that Jesus loves us so much that he came down from heaven to be that perfect cornerstone on which we are built. See, in any ancient structure, the cornerstone had to be absolutely perfect. Perfect 90 degrees in every direction. 
And then the other stones could be stacked on that perfect cornerstone. And those stones didn't have to be perfect, but they were made perfect, built into a perfect structure because the cornerstone was perfect. Well, Jesus Christ came down from heaven and he lived a life where everything lined up absolutely perfectly with the will of the Heavenly Father. And he made the perfect sacrifice that his father demanded for our sins on the cross. We come here to hear that good news of our Savior Jesus from the foundation of the scripture so that we remain on that perfect cornerstone, Jesus Christ. See, what, what Christians do here in these houses, it keeps us in the Holy Christian Church, the house of God. And because we are built on Christ, Jesus works in these houses. He works in these houses, and he purifies them. Just think of today's gospel. Jesus was working in that synagogue. He was teaching with authority about the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And into that synagogue came an evil spirit possessing a man. And when Jesus saw that evil in his house, he moved. He basically said, not in my house. That evil spirit was interrupting, confronting, challenging Jesus. And he spoke and said, be quiet, come out of him. Jesus watched over that house of God. He worked there, teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And when evil entered that house, Jesus drove it out and kept his house clean. Because we are built on Jesus Christ, the perfect cornerstone, he is also watching over this house. He is working here and keeping it clean. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's a demon anywhere in this building or that any of you are demon-possessed. But when we come into this house, we come in unclean. We are sinful people. And that sin taints the worship that we offer here. No one here has ever listened to the word of God with perfectly undivided attention. No sermon here has ever been perfectly prepared or perfectly preached. Nobody has ever sung or prayed or confessed their faith with a perfectly clean heart. We are sinful people, and it infects the worship that we offer to our Heavenly Father. But Jesus watches over this house, and he keeps it clean. The righteousness of Christ purifies all uncleanness from the worship we offer. He perfects it so that it rises up to the throne of the Heavenly Father as incense, as a pleasing sacrifice. And Jesus works here. He teaches us through the truth of his word, so we also hold on firmly to our confidence and the hope about which we boast until the end. Now it is good to remember that this letter to the Hebrews was written with a purpose. Of course, you can say all of Scripture, the entire foundation of the Bible, is written with the same purpose, which is to create faith in Jesus, to create this confidence and this hope, and then to keep it strong. But what I mean is that all of the books and the letters of the Bible, they were also written to an original audience. And the original recipients of this letter were Hebrews. They were Jewish people who converted to Christianity. The Spirit had built them into the house of God's church. But now if you pay attention 
the little hints and indications throughout this letter, you can see that many of these Hebrew Christians, maybe even most of them, were considering leaving God's house by leaving Jesus Christ behind. They were considering going back to Moses in the Old Testament and returning to the worship of the temple and the synagogues. And the writer to the Hebrews wants to stop them from doing that. He wants to keep them in the house of the Christian faith and to keep them in the worship of their Christian congregations. He's very smart, this writer to the Hebrews. He understands that the way to do that with this audience is not by attacking or belittling Moses or the worship of the Old Testament. He says, Moses was faithful in God's whole house. Moses was great. He led God's church in the Old Testament, which was Israel, and he led it with remarkable faithfulness. But as Moses led the church of God in the Old Testament, he pointed ahead to a fulfillment to come. And the worship of the Old Testament, it all pointed ahead to a fulfillment to come. Moses was faithful as a servant within God's house by testifying to the things that would be spoken. Moses was a great servant, but Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that Moses said and did, and he is the fulfillment of all the worship of the Old Testament. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, focus your attention on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. The high priest led the worship of the Old Testament, and he did it by carrying out two main jobs. One was to pray for the people, and the other was to make sacrifices for their sins. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He is the fulfillment of that office because he prays for God's people perfectly. Jesus prayed perfectly while he walked on this earth, including for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for his whole church beautifully the night before he died. And he's still praying for us in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus made the best, the eternal sacrifice for sins. The, the high priest in the Old Testament, he had to sacrifice animals over and over again. But Jesus sacrificed himself once on the cross, the eternal sacrifice for all sins. And Moses, the writer says, he was faithful as a servant in God's house, in the church, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. Sons, at least sons who have any brains at all between their ears, they will work harder and better than the servants in a house because sons understand the house also belongs to them. They're not just in the house, they're over it. It is their possession. Jesus Christ works hardest and best in the house of God because he's not just in that house, he's over it. The house belongs to him. It is his possession. So Jesus works hardest and best over God's house, and that is true of God's house in every sense of the word. Jesus works best over the house of creation. He holds it all together with his divine power and works everything for the good of his people. Jesus works best over this house 
this place where we worship because he is here to purify our worship, to make it holy, and to teach through his word, through his sacraments, to keep our confidence and our hope strong. And Jesus works best over the house of the church, all believers, because he is that perfect cornerstone in whom we are perfected. Jesus is the perfect son over God's house. There is nothing better or more desirable than him. The Hebrews needed to be reminded of that. And we need to be reminded of that too. Even if nobody here is considering leaving the house of the Holy Christian Church, even if no one here is considering abandoning worship in this Christian congregation for a synagogue or a mosque or anything else, we all feel a pull away from the house of God, away from the Christian church, away from worship with our fellow Christians. And the pull often comes in the form of the same lie that Adam and Eve fell for in the garden. The basic lie that they fell for is this. Your life, your existence is better outside of God's house. You can have more fulfillment, you can be wiser, you can have more joy away from God's house, apart from him. They fell for that lie. And we all do to some extent. Whenever we see anything in this world is more glorious, more desirable than Jesus Christ, whenever we wander from God's will for something that we think will make our life better, more joyful, Jesus is the best. And he gives the best possible life. The writer has already called him your high priest, the son over God's house. He also says he was faithful to the one who appointed him. This connects very closely to another name that the writer used for Jesus earlier, which is apostle. An apostle is someone who is appointed and sent out on an extremely important mission. The Heavenly Father appointed Jesus. He selected him. He's the apostle from heaven. He was appointed by the Heavenly Father and sent on the mission of being our perfect cornerstone on whom we are built. And Jesus carried out that mission. He was faithful to it. And when he did, he wasn't just being faithful to his Father in heaven. He was being faithful to us, making us worthy to be built into the house of God's church. Nothing is better than Jesus Christ. Anything or anybody who tells you differently is telling you the most dangerous lie of all because it attacks the central truth of God's word. Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. He is best because as God's son, as your high priest, as the faithful apostle, he gives you a place in God's house forever. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, focus your attention on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. And that brings us back to this house. This is where we hear Jesus and see him and receive him in his supper. And it is all to focus our hearts, to focus our faith on him because this is true jesus is worthy of greater glory 
And that's not just greater glory than Moses, but it is greater glory than anything and anyone else in this world because he is God's son. God's son and our savior over God's house. Amen.